All right. Well, you know, on a holiday like Rosh Hashanah, there's a million things to talk about, right? So sit back and relax. That is a scary thought right there. Okay, no. Uh, you know, I, certainly there is a solemnity to these holidays. But the reality is, is that, is that when we uh, uh, think about the Lord and think about God and recognize his desire uh, uh, for us, there is a certain joy associated that's mixed into the solemnity of the whole thing, you know? Uh, it's sort of like a, a, in, in a few moments, I will be uh, talking about a, a very special prayer called Avinu Malkenu, our Father, our King. You know, so when you think about God, right, a, a different thought comes to your mind when you think of the word Father, and then when you think of the word King, right? Uh, father, perhaps uh, love, uh, uh, care, concern. Oftentimes when we think of king, we think, oh, the one who is ruling, the one who judges. And uh, it's important that we, we don't go off the deep end in any one direction when we understand God. He is our father and he is our king, you know, at the same time. So there is, among the, uh, the seriousness of the day, there is certainly a real a real joy of the day. You know, in the, um, the machzor, the traditional machzor, uh, there are uh, different kinds of uh, prayers. If you remember back on Shavuot, we talked about uh, a special prayer called Ad, uh, Ad Makut, right? Uh, and that uh, was, we called that a, a peyut, right? A poem that was written like a thousand years ago. Well, on just about every holiday, there are these kinds of, uh, of prayers, these poems. Uh, even though they're, they're written by people living in a particular situation, they, uh, uh, they relate to our own lives. And I, I'm not going to say a whole lot more about it. I, pro I might be saying more about it either tomorrow or on Yom Kippur. Uh, it has a very interesting uh, history, and a lot of the real famous uh, poems in the Machzor are famous because of the lore surrounding them, you know, and it's true about this one as well. But anyway, I, I wanted to uh, uh, read it. It's called Untanet Tokef, and uh, which uh, it means to acknowledge uh, acknowledge power. Okay, it's uh, it's located in a very interesting place and. Uh, I'm reading a, sort of a, a modern translation, not a modern translation, but an, uh, uh, an updated translation. It is, uh, it's a real translation from the Hebrew, but uh, one that we can understand. In the, uh, in the traditional machzor, it is located, uh, just FYI, it's in the middle of the Amidah, actually. Uh, on holidays, you find that there are a variety of prayers located in the Amidah, uh, and, this is, uh, and this is indeed one of them. And there's a reason for that too, but uh, just so you know, that, that's where it's located. Okay? So let me read, I just want to read it as an introduction to what this holiday is about. Okay? All right. And so let holiness rise up to you, for you are our king. And let us acknowledge the power of this day's holiness. 
for it is full of awe and dread. And on it your kingdom will be exalted, and your throne will be established in love. And you will reign from it in truth. Truly you are judge, and prosecutor, and litigant, and witness, and author, and sealer, and recorder, and recounter. And you will remember everything that has been forgotten. And you will open up the book of memories, and it will be read from. Everyone's signature is in it. And a great shofar will be sounded, and a thin whisper of a sound will be heard. And angels will recoil and be gripped by shaking and trembling. And they will say, this is the day of judgment, for reviewing the hosts on high in judgment. For they will not be innocent when you judge them. And all who enter the world will pass before you like sheep. As a shepherd searches for his flock, and has his sheep pass under his staff. So too will you record and recount and review all living beings as you have them pass by. And you will decide the end of all creatures and write down their sentence. On Rosh Hashanah they will be written down and on Yom Kippur they will be sealed. How many will pass on and how many will be created? Who will live and who will die? Who at their end and who not at their end? Who by fire and who by water? Who by warfare, who by wildfire, who by hunger and who by thirst, who by earthquake and who by plague, who by strangling and who by stoning, who will rest and who will wander, who will be tranquil and who will be troubled, who will be calm and who will be tormented, who will be exalted and who will be humbled, who will be rich and who will be poor. In repentance, prayer, and charity, help the hardship of the decree pass. For your glory is like your name. Slow to anger, quick to forgive. For you do not want the dead to die, but for them to turn from their path and live. You wait until the day they die, accepting them immediately if they return. Truly you are their creator and, and you know their nature. For they are flesh and blood. Their origin is from dust and their end is to dust. At their peril gathering food, they are like shattered pottery. Like withered grass and like a faded blossom, like a passing shadow and like a vanishing cloud, and like blowing wind and like sprouting dust and like a dream that will fly away. But you are king, the living and everlasting God. Your years are boundless and the length of your days is endless. Your glorious chariots are priceless and the eternity of your name is limitless. Your name suits you and you, and you suit your name. You named us after you. Act for the sake of your name, and sanctify your name through those who declare the sanctity of your name. For the glory of your name, honored and sanctify, as the utterances of the assembly of holy seraphim, who sanctify your name with holy, inhabitants above with, with the inhabitants below, three times call out the trio of holiness with holy. Now, there's a lot in that, and I'm not going to take the time to decipher it or anything like that. The idea behind it is that it is to motivate us to repent, not to be parsed and exegeted. You know, it's a poem. It's supposed to move us. And uh, there, are, there is symbolism in it, uh, and there are uh, literal true words in it, you know. Uh, but the point is, is that we are to recognize that God is indeed our king. But isn't it interesting, at the very beginning of it, we read here, you know, that God is the king, but your throne will be established in love. Uh, kind of like Avinu Malkenu, our father, our 
our, uh, our king. And you notice at the very end of it, by the way, it ends with, uh, as the uh, seraphim sanctify God's name with holy, well, can you guess where in the Amidah it might be? It is located on Rosh Hashanah, just before, when, we st- when we're standing, we say, Kadosh, 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 right? Just before that, uh, that spot in the, uh, the Siddur. So it's a very interesting prayer, and I've kind of been meditating on it a little bit, uh, uh, as preparing for uh, a Rosh Hashanah. But again, its purpose is to motivate us to repent, to return to God, because it is with God with whom we have to do. He is indeed our uh, uh, king. Uh, We are indeed accountable uh, to God. No matter who we are, no matter what we believe, no matter what uh, we find interesting or uninteresting, no matter how religious or unreligious we may be, we all stand eventually uh, before, uh, before God uh, and, uh, and being held uh, accountable. And so God has given us uh, Rosh Hashanah uh, for uh, this great reminder, right? And that's what we read about in Leviticus chapter 23, Vayikra chapter 23, uh, beginning in verse uh, 23, I believe, where we read that, that, that this holiday is a reminder. Sometimes it says a memorial in, in a translation. But this is a, a, a reminder by the blowing of trumpets. Literally, it says Yom HaTruah, which means literally loud noise. Okay? You may know it from, if, you've, if you're familiar with Psalm 150 in Hebrew, you know how we, but sealed, tzelay, truah, right? That truah, loud noise, right? And I, uh, to sound the cymbals with loud noise. Uh, and it's like a wake-up call. It's what's supposed to be. Like a, a wake-up call so that we might remember who we are, remember who God is, remember our calling as, as uh, Israel, remember and as, uh, as a messianic community, uh, remember our calling as Messiah followers uh, in the uh, covenant that, that God has, uh, has given us. So when we talk about these holidays as a journey, we begin with repentance. We begin with a return uh, uh, to, to God. And so I thought we might uh, take a few minutes to uh, understand a little bit about, about that and, and what it means and why it's relevant even in, in the world in, in which we live. Okay? Usually when we think about repentance, uh, we, are, uh, we think of uh, confessing our sins to God. Right? And that's, that's not a bad thing. It's certainly inclusive of, of that. Right? Uh, repent! Right? Uh, I don't know about you, but what might come to my mind from time to time might be someone with a sandwich sign standing at a big uh, street corner where the word repent is like written by hand in red, right? With an exclamation point next to it. Right? Uh, repent! Right, and you look at it and say, "Ay, ay, 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 ay! What is that person doing?" Right, uh, and uh, it seems so far from having any kind of meaning, you know, in our in our lives. And for us, for whom it does indeed have meaning, we think perhaps of uh, the very first words of Yohanan, of John the Immerser, John the Baptist, as he's called in most English translations of the Bible, or the very first words of Yeshua right? Out of his mouth, out of both of their mouths. Repent, 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Uh, turn to God, right? Uh, and, uh, and again, what comes to mind is that uh, we need to confess our sins uh, 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 to God. Now, uh, of course, uh, this, is, this is true, but like everything else, it's not the whole truth. It's part of the truth, right? Uh, now, when we look at the word in, uh, in Hebrew, it means return. It has really a, a very much of a physical connotation. Uh, so, return, teshuvah, uh, return. Uh, and, and again, a very physical uh, a very physical word of coming back, being somewhere and returning. Now, in Greek, it's a little bit different. It's more of change your mind. Sort of the, the thought of, you know, of change your way of thinking. Change your way of thinking. Which, of course, uh, is uh, both of those words have, are, have two sides of the coin. In order to come back, you have to change the way you're thinking. And we might say, when we think about the Greek word, and when we change our thinking, it has a very physical, uh, it bears physical fruit of the way that, uh, of the way that we, uh, of the way that we live. But let me suggest that uh, repentance, changing our mind, changing our way of thinking, uh, is much more than just thinking about sin, okay? It has a lot to do with the way that we view our lives, the way that we view the world, uh, all that it means uh, in in, uh, in in a way uh, in a way of uh, in a way of life. Okay. So when we uh, think about uh, repentance, it is we might say a return to God. Right now, maybe you've heard me use this illustration before, because sometimes I, I in talking to people. I, I explain uh, this, uh, this walk with God and this return to God in, in, in this kind of way. And this is very good when it comes to this issue of, of repentance and, and what it is. So when we think about a desire to live for God, right? We might say, you know, I'm going to start uh, living in a certain way that, uh, that God would have me to live. You know, I'm going to do the right thing. Um, uh, you know, I'm going to make my priorities uh, uh, right and, and good and, uh, you know, and, um, and, and all of that, okay? So, uh, so therefore, I'm going to start, I'm going to walk toward God. But we're facing the other direction. In other words, I'm looking at, uh, at everything in my life and I'm looking at everything in the world and I see how fearful it is to be alive today and, you know, all the saber rattling going on and all of my own personal failures and, uh, and all the times I've tried to do right but haven't succeeded or all of the things that I regret about my life. You know, it's getting kind of depressing, isn't it? Is it? You know, a little bit. Shall I go on? Uh, no. Okay. So, and I'm sure that as I'm saying these words, you may be thinking about all these, you know, you might, like the film might be rolling right now, right, uh, about our lives. Well, here's the thing. What repenting is, is not making a decision to say, I'm going to start living for God. It really means to turn around, to turn around, and I'm going to face God, and I'm going to move forward toward him. 
And I'm going to be looking at him. And I'm going to be focused on him. All these other things are true going back here. Well, some of them may not be true. But the world is a fearful place. Let's face it. I mean, we're, the things we're hearing these days uh, you know, are, uh, are pretty scary. Right? Right. Uh, and, uh, and again, we all have regrets and failures and, and things of that nature. Uh, which anchor us back here. And so when we turn around and we face God, as we see uh, in, uh, in the Brit Hadashah, I'm talking about Yeshua, keep our eyes fixed on Yeshua, the author and finisher of our faith, right? That walking toward God, facing Him, focusing on Him, thinking about Him, taking a step, taking another step, that's what we mean by repentance. Repentance is walking toward God. Repentance is moving toward God. Not just saying, I'm sorry that I sinned or confessing my sins. Certainly, that's a, that's a big part of it. But it is living in a certain way. It is being enveloped in the Lord. Now, one of the things that repentance is not we're not really repentant when we know the Hebrew and the Greek word and we can define it. Okay? That doesn't mean that we're experiencing repentance. Uh, it doesn't mean reading a good book about repentance. It doesn't mean teaching on repentance. It doesn't mean understanding the Bible doctrine of repentance. Okay? Those are all good. It is really about changing our minds and actions about the way that we think about God, about the way that we think about Yeshua the Messiah. Repentance has a very physical side to it of living uh, in a way, of course, that is uh, 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 pleasing uh, uh, to God. Now, it's deeper than that. It's identifying with God, not only walking toward God or observing God or applying godly principles to my life. It is identifying with God. It is belonging to God. It is like being attached to God. So repentance is the act of moving forward toward God and embracing God in our lives. And that is indeed why God sent the Messiah. God sent the Messiah so that we could embrace him in a very visceral, physical kind of way and be transformed in our lives. That is why he sent the Messiah. He sent the Messiah because we cannot do it on our own. Because as much as we try to be different, it isn't going to work. The only way is to receive the promise of God in our lives. To say, yes, God, I may not understand a whole lot about you, but I believe in you and I believe in your word and I don't understand it all, but Lord, I believe in you and I believe in your Messiah, Yeshua the very incarnation of God, born according to promise, taking our sins upon himself, so that we could really uh, move forward uh, toward God. Okay? That is why when you read the word repent in the Bible, oftentimes it is synonymous with embracing God. And so when we embrace God, certainly there is a conviction of, about the way we live and we confess our sins Yes, but again, it is much, much, um, much more uh, than that. There's some uh, uh, really excellent uh, passages in the Scripture that, that uh, talk about 
uh, repentance and what it means. A really great one is in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah in the 30th chapter. In Isaiah chapter 30. Okay. The beginning of the chapter is a great, uh, a great statement. Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan but not mine, and make an alliance but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin. Now, he goes on and he laments this fact, and this is a rebellious people, false sons, uh, you know, so on and so forth. But if you move all the way down to verse 15, it says this, For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Now, it's interesting, uh, oftentimes in this kind of uh, uh, statement, where there's two lines in it, two lines in a verse, it's actually a little bit of poetry. And the second, the second line accentuates the first and explains it. So what do we mean here when it says, for thus, uh, you know, in repentance and rest, you shall be, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. And so what is uh, repentance here? Repentance is trusting God. In quietness and trust is your strength. To really live a repentant life is to trust God. It's to really trust God. To trust God for our lives. To trust Him for our future. Now that flies in the face of uh, our Judeo-Christian uh, uh, you know, way of thinking of pull yourself up by the bootstraps, uh, you know, and uh, and tough it through, and you'll be able to do it. This is the opposite. Repentance is the opposite of that. Repentance is moving toward God. Repentance is trusting God for my future. Now, how does that help us? Uh, what is that future, or or, or what is it? Uh, what does it mean to us today? Well, it's interesting. Uh, another uh, passage in Isaiah, just a couple of uh, couple of chapters down, down the other going backwards. Speaking of this issue of trust, we read in Isaiah chapter twenty-six, in verse three, the steadfast of mind that will keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in thee. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Okay, so when we repent, we're trusting God. When we repent and we return uh, to God, or we change the way we're thinking, uh, we are uh, we are trusting God. In Ezekiel, the prophet, God speaks through him and says, "For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies," declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. And so here we see that repent. Repentance bears the fruit of, uh, of, uh, of living. And we would say living the way God has, uh, God has deemed that we would live. Living what we might call, you know, an, uh, an abundant life, right? Uh, and so when we think again about repentance and we think about turning from sin, it really uh, is about a walking toward God. Now, in the Brit in the New Covenant, you have, uh, there's a lot of places that we could turn for this, but in the Gospel of Mark, in uh, Mark chapter 1, 
or chapter 2, in verse uh, 14. This is where you read about when Yeshua was calling his disciples. It says here, And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. It's very interesting that uh, uh, the response of a Levi uh, is obedience. Uh, it, it doesn't say, for example, and he passed by and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And so Alphaeus rose, gave a confession of faith and trust in God and promised to follow him. You know, it doesn't say that. It says he got up and he followed him. Based on just who Yeshua was, who, who he recognized him to be, he followed him. It's interesting, in John chapter 1, toward the end of the chapter, we read about, uh, again, some of the disciples of Yeshua. We read in verse, uh, verse 43. The next day he purposed to go forth into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Yeshua said, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said, We have found him of whom Moses in the Torah, Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Right? Uh, and uh, we see that these disciples got up and followed him. And so we might say, Well, wait a minute, what about that repentance part? Does it say they repented and, and followed? No, they followed him. They turned, they returned. They followed the Messiah. They, uh, they listened to him. They did what he told them to do. Uh, they engaged with him. They, in a sense, trusted him with uh, their very lives. And so when we return, when we repent, we become uh, followers uh, of Messiah. That's why we sometimes use the term Messiah followers. When he says to us, follow me. It means we become attached to Yeshua. We become identified with him. And so we have a new attitude. We have a change of heart, a running to God and of, and of trusting God. Uh, and this is uh, indeed when, uh, when you think about uh, what it means to know the Lord, to be obedient to God. That's really what it is. So when we talk about repentance, when we hear the sound of the shofar, it should wake us up and say, I need to return to God, even if, we have, even if we have embraced Yeshua. Sometimes, you know, uh, our lifestyle, the way we live, uh, moves, uh, moves uh, different ways. Uh, we need to say, wait a minute, we need to recalibrate. Say, wait, I need to return to him. I need to follow him. I need to, uh, to walk with him. Uh, and that is a life-changing uh, way of life. Now, there's, uh, we might ask the question then, how do we, uh, how do you do that? You know, uh, how can we make sure that we are living in a state of repentance as opposed to a momentary promise to God? How can I live that way, you know? Well, uh, you know, recently I had the opportunity of uh, speaking at a, a retreat, a men's retreat. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the assigned uh, verse to speak from came from the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant, where Paul is talking to his uh, young charge, Timothy. Uh, and, uh, and he is encouraging Timothy 
to, in a sense, repent, believe it or not. Uh, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 6, he says, And for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So kindle afresh the gift of God. In other words, Timothy, you've kind of gotten a little sloppy or you're, you're, you're way too preoccupied with uh, what's going on in the world around you. Remember, it's like, you know, a little slap in the face. Remember who you are. Remember that, you remember I laid hands on you. Uh, not like beating them up or something, right? But like saying, you know, God has called you to this work and he wants Timothy to remember that. And then he says uh, this. He says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So my responsibility was discipline. I thought, would I get the, the short end of the, uh, draw the short straw here? Uh, it would be great to talk about the power and great to talk about the love, but I get to talk about the discipline, right? So then, you know what I did is I looked it up. I looked up the word and I saw that, wow, it's translated a lot of different ways in a lot of different translations. And, uh, uh, you know, sound judgment is used, self-control is used, disciplined, uh, sound mind, sound judgment, lots, lots of different ways. And then I saw that sometimes the word is translated in other places, mostly when Paul is talking to Timothy and Titus, by the way, uh, as sensible. Sensible? What does it mean? Really, what it means is, is to think with a redeemed mind. To think intentionally, in other words. To think intentionally, to live intentionally. So what he's saying to Timothy is, Timothy, remember who you are. Remember that God has not called us to be cowards. That's really what he's saying. He's not called us to be cowards. He's not called us to be wringing our hands, saying, oh no, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, what are we going to do? He's not called us to say, oh, my life is all messed up. Poor, pitiful me, as Linda Ronstadt uh, led the chorus up, right? You know, uh, oh, no, my life is bad. Oh, I've been dealt a bad hand. And so he's saying, God has not given you that. Remember who you are in Messiah. Live, think intentionally. That's what he's really saying. And may I suggest that that is what it means really to repent, is to live intentionally, not just living for the moment, or to say, yes, I believe in Yeshua, and I go to services, and, and uh, you know, and I believe the, uh, uh, I believe in Yeshua, you know, I believe in what I'm supposed to believe uh, about the Messiah. Now, to really repent is to really uh, 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 trust God and to live intentionally. What does that mean, live intentionally? It means think about what I do. Think about what I think. Think about where I go. Think about uh, the way I pray. Think about uh, uh, the way I engage God in a service, for example. Uh, uh, intentional worship, intentional living. Intentional worship would be, well, I'm really here to encounter God. And when I sing the songs and, and when we pray, I really want that to come from my heart. Not, what time is the oneg? Because I'm kind of getting hungry. The Buckeyes are going to start soon. All right? That is, you will never get anything out of, you might as well stay home, uh, 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 frankly. 
Of course, I don't really, you should really come anyway. Okay, come anyway. But it's sometimes tantamount to, uh, to uh, uh, staying home. Uh, living intentionally uh, is engaging God in the text of the Bible. Engaging God at work. Engaging God just at home. Engaging God all the time. 24-7. Being enveloped in Him. That's what it means to return to God. To live that way. Sometimes we use it for to die to self. To live to God. And that's what Yeshua was referring to when He said, you know, like, let the dead bury their dead and... Uh, and those harsh kinds of statements. What he's talking about is living intentionally for God, being wholly devoted to God, whether, whether, uh, uh, regardless of where we are in life. Now, that leads me uh, to this. When I was a, uh, a brand new believer in Yeshua, uh, a couple of years after I came to know Messiah, I was in college at the time, and I was at this crossroads. Uh, I uh, had the opportunity to either go to graduate school or take what we might say like a right turn in life uh, and, being, uh, and going to a school to learn how to uh, be a messianic rabbi, a messianic leader, uh, to share the good news with, with our people and all that to basically be vocationally uh, uh, serving God in ministry, vocationally. So I was either going to be uh, getting a master's degree in public administration, or I was going to get a diploma from a place called Moody Bible Institute. So I didn't know what to do. There's a whole long story that goes with that. But I was reading a, a newsletter from a Messianic organization. This, is, this was in 1978. And, uh, and I was thinking about these things, and a person wrote an article and mentioned a book. Okay? Now, some of you have heard of this book, maybe. Others have not. It's called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if any of you have ever read it, but I got this book in 1978, and I read it. If you don't know who he was, uh, he was a, uh, a believer in Messiah uh, who uh, was German, uh, and who was a, a clergy person, you know, like a, a theologian, a, a pastor. Uh, and uh, he uh, stood up uh, for the cause of Messiah in uh, the most difficult times during, uh, the, uh, during World War II, and, you know, during the time of the Nazis. And he was eventually martyred, eventually died. But he wrote a lot of things. Uh, and we are fortunate uh, uh, to have that. So, uh, in this book, The Cost of Discipleship, uh, he talks about what he calls costly grace. has a chapter on it. And let me tell you something. That I have seen, uh, you know, books, you know, like, books written like in uh, 1990, 2000, 2000, uh, about this title, Costly Grace. They got it from him. Okay? That's where it comes from. So, I, just to show you how well, uh, how much I have read this book, I can actually take out the page that I want to read from uh, right here, okay? And, uh, and he talks about uh, uh, cheap grace and costly grace, okay? He says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. 
Cheap grace is grace uh, uh, without the Messiah. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. Costly grace is the good news which must be sought for and received. Such grace is costly. Now, this is in, such grace is costly because it, cause, it calls us to follow. And it's grace because it calls us to follow Yeshua. It's not grace because it feels good. It's not grace because it's like, uh, you know, uh, living in Candyland, right? It's grace because it calls us to follow the living Messiah. It's costly because it costs a person his or her life. It's grace because it gives a person the, o- the only true life. Ultimately, there is. Uh, it is costly because it condemns sin. And it's grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of Yeshua. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a, uh, a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. And he goes on talking about this. So I wrote in this book, I wrote a little note to myself way back then. And it was uh, quoting a passage from uh, also 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. So this is what I wrote. Because at that time, I knew very little about, uh, about anything. I knew very little about the Bible. I knew very little about uh, anything. And, and, to, and to ever see myself as a, a teacher or a leader, that was like way out of the question. But this is what I wrote. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Messiah Yeshua. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So it's interesting, you know, if you ever uh, have the opportunity to journal or to look at things that you might have underlined in a Bible when you were uh, in the very formative stages of understanding who God is, this to me was very important. What does it mean to be attached to Yeshua? What does it mean to embrace him? What does it mean to experience costly grace? Yes, indeed, it means to be, uh, to be enveloped in him. And that can mean suffering hardship. It can mean persecution. It can mean being misunderstood. It can mean being ill-treated. Because if we're living in Messiah, we see in his own life, Yeshua was misunderstood. Yeshua to this very day is maligned and marginalized. And so why should we expect anything else? So then we might say, well, why even even bother with this? Why? Because in him, in him ultimately is the blessing of God. In him is ultimately our destiny. In him is the inward sense of being accepted by God and of joy and peace and patience and long-suffering. Because he has given us the Ruach, the Spirit, to dwell within us. And so while we may not experience all of the physical outward blessings that we might think of when we define blessings, we know that in him that promise is true. And just like the prophets of old who loved God and who were enveloped in the Lord, uh, uh, who suffered hardship, they, but they knew what the future held. So in the same way, when we embrace Yeshua, we know indeed uh, what the future holds. And so 
I would encourage you uh, today, if you know, if you uh, are here to, uh, uh, and, and you've never really thought about this is what repentance means, I hope that you will indeed um, uh, consider the claims of Yeshua and recognize that he came in order for us to be able to belong to God, that he is the Messiah of Israel, and that he has called us to, uh, to, indeed, uh, to indeed embrace him. And, you know, we like to say, finally, here at Beth Messiah, we like to say that uh, we uh, desire to experience Israel's future today or to make Israel's future a living reality, you know? What we mean by that is, is that in Messiah, when we repent, when we move toward him, when we embrace him, there is a sense of living out the fulfillment of, you know, the Alam Haba within, knowing that the day will come when it will manifest itself in a very physical way. And so if we are anxious, if we're worried, if we are regretful, if we are fearful, come to Messiah Yeshua. Because in him there is security. In him indeed there is a future. And this uh, fellow, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he himself wrote much about uh, the security in the Lord while he was suffering. And a passage of scripture that really relates so much to what we're, what we're saying here. When uh, uh, Rav Shaul or Paul talks about this moving toward God, this living a life of repentance. This is what one of the things that he says. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I, I count as loss for the sake of Messiah. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Messiah Yeshua, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Messiah, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from Torah, but that which is through faith in Messiah, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, the fellowship of his sufferings. How could the fellowship of his sufferings be any good? In order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that with which I was laid hold of by Messiah Yeshua. Right? Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Messiah Yeshua. Okay? And so that's what we do. We press on. We keep moving forward. For we know that the day is going to come when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And there'll be a new life and there'll be a glory and greatness. And that is how, with that trust and that hope and that perseverance, we are able to live above our circumstances. And we are to live a quality of life that God has indeed destined us for. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense. Joy unspeakable is one phrase that we read in the Brit Chadashah. When all may be falling apart around us, we can have this joy. Why do we have this joy? Because we know indeed what our future is. And that's what happens when we repent and we live that life of turning to God. So as we hear the sound of the shofar tonight, 
may we, uh, as I wrote in a, in a Jirash that maybe you read, may we move back to the future, not uh, as Marty McFly did living in the past, right? But uh, uh, really moving back to a place that's in the future. Let us repent. Let us indeed return to the Lord our God. Amen.